Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Economist. From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly program about news in the worlds of business, finance and economics. I'm Edward McBride, the finance editor. Worries about the Chinese economy continue to drag down stock markets everywhere. The depreciation of the yuan has stoked fears of a currency war, and the price of oil, among other commodities, is the lowest it's been in a decade. There's no shortage of warnings about imminent disaster. Larry Summers says markets understand better than policymakers what a sorry state the world economy is in. George Soros thinks it's like 2008 all over again. And George Osborne, Britain's chancellor, has called 2016 a cocktail of risks. With me today to discuss the anxiety gripping the markets are Philip Coggan, our Buttonwood columnist, and Ryan Avent, our free exchange columnist. Philip, let's start with China. Uh, There's a growing sense that the authorities in China are not the technocratic whizzes we'd imagined. When it comes to stock market regulation, at any rate, they seem to be making policy on the hoof. What do you make of it? Yes, there's an irony that uh, free market investors around the world were relying on Chinese communists to uh, manage their economy successfully in a way that they would have cried foul about if it had been attempted in the West. But the latest change of heart was over circuit breakers for the Chinese stock market, which kicked in at 5% and then 7% declines in the market. And they seem to uh, attract the market uh, when it traded. As uh, somebody used the analogy, it's rather like if you're playing a golf shot and there's an overhanging branch between you and the hole, the tendency for you to hit that branch is rather high. So those circuit breakers, which were triggered twice last week and caused trading to be halted, have been abandoned again. But this adds to the air of um, loss of control that crept really up first last summer when the Chinese move to let their exchange rate depreciate slightly against the dollar, a very small move in percentage terms, but one that rather alarmed investors around the world. And I think the worry is that the Chinese are trying to control too much. You can't control your interest rates and your exchange rate and your stock market and move your economy from uh, an investment-led model to a consumption-led model all at the same time. Uh, From an economic perspective, though, Ryan, the most important issue before the Chinese authorities is the exchange rate, isn't it? Uh, What's going on there? Well, a lot of attention has been paid, as Philip says, to to the stock markets. But the the exchange rate really, I think, in some ways is more uh, indicative of the difficult choices um, that the government faces right now. I think what they'd like to do is avoid too big a depreciation of the yuan for a few reasons. Um, On the one hand, they're trying to rebalance the economy toward consumption. Uh, and a depreciation would push against that by kind of squeezing the, the purchasing power of Chinese consumers on world markets. Um, they'd also be concerned about the effect of a depreciation on some of the, the big corporations in China, particularly those involved in property markets, which have large dollar-denominated debts that would grow more expensive if the yuan were to fall by quite a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons why whenever there's been kind of a big downward move in the yuan, uh, we've seen a lot of jitteriness around around global markets. But they're struggling to kind of maintain that, that, that high value of the yuan against the dollar and other currencies. There's a lot of pressure against China's capital controls as people try to move money out of the economy for a few different reasons, largely, I think, on the expectation that, that the yuan will fall. 
And and as that pressure kind of ramps up, we're seeing, uh, oddly enough, uh, drawdowns of of China's massive foreign exchange reserves, which had reached nearly four trillion, but which they've had uh, a bit of a time hanging on to over the last few months. So it seems only a short time ago that we were worried that Chinese reserves, that they, the $4 trillion pile as it was then, was a sign of horrible imbalances in the world economy. Isn't this just a sort of natural rebalancing? Uh, should, shouldn't we think of this as a, as a healthy change? I think it would be healthy if we got to a position where the, the People's Bank of China wasn't intervening so heavily in foreign exchange markets. I think that's where the Chinese government would like to go. But because China faces this dilemma where they don't want to be intervening, but they also don't want there to be a massive depreciation, um, they can't easily step away. If they were to just say, we're not going to intervene anymore, then you'd get this sudden and and, and dramatic depreciation in the yuan that would really uh, throw markets for a loop and hurt a lot of Chinese companies. Since they don't want to do that, uh, they have to respond to pressure uh, on, on capital outflows by selling down the reserves. When people sort of want to change in their yuan for dollars, they've got to go to the reserves and, and pay those down. And I think once you start to, to see this pattern continue, you can find yourself in, in, in a situation like, uh, you know, not unlike Britain found itself in 1992. We were talking about Soros earlier that once everyone thinks you're about to run out, um, the pressure becomes quite intense. And so then China has to decide whether they're going to backtrack on all these efforts they've made to try to liberalize their capital account. So, Philip, to, to what extent are these problems that China is wrestling with uh, the cause of, of all the turmoil in global markets? Or is there something else going on as well? I think there are a couple of things going on. Concern about Chinese growth is natural. It's the second biggest economy in the world. It's been the engine of global growth in recent years. Um, and you can say that if the many investors are dubious about the quality of overall uh, Chinese economic statistics, and they perhaps look to things like the fall in commodity prices, the fall in shipping rates, as seen in the Baltic Dry Index, as indicators of the real level of, of Chinese demand. And the worry is, of course, this uh, ripples out to the rest of Asia. We've seen weak uh, numbers for exports for countries like Korea, and indeed for manufacturing around the globe. The manufacturing index uh, of the US PMI has been below 50 the last couple of months. That's very odd for the Fed to be increasing rates at a time when it's below 50. That's one concern that Chinese growth weighs on the rest of the world. The second concern following on from that is that the uh, Fed has tightened too soon and that the withdrawal of monetary support from the markets is starting to make investors worry about the end game. They then look to see what assets are attractive in the world. Bond yields are very low. Uh, Corporate bond yields were very low, but spreads are now widening. Uh, That's a worrying sign. Equity markets were quite expensive in the US relative to history, and profits are now falling. So combine that lot, and you have one of the worst starts for uh, global equity markets in uh, many decades. Yes, the outlook for markets seems so grim that uh, some participants are throwing in the towel. Uh, there's the example of uh, Martin Taylor, a very successful money manager who, who runs a fund called uh, Nevsky Capital. Uh, tell us about him, Philip. That's right, Nevsky Capital, which had achieved long-term returns of 18% per annum. So they point uh, to the importance of China and India in the global economy and their inability to rely on the statistics. That's one thing. The second is that they also worry about the liquidity of markets so that Banks have withdrawn from uh, market making, index funds and algorithmic traders, um, high frequency traders who who do provide liquidity uh, at times, but can withdraw it 
at a moment's notice or at a millimoment's notice, you might say, are dominating trading. So you get these kind of sudden dips in prices, and we've seen quite a few of them over the last uh, year and a half, uh, which means that you have a lot of uh, specific risk as an investor. They're also worried about the fact that uh, US companies have actually been gearing up, though the aggregate numbers show US companies have cash that's very concentrated in a few tech companies. So in the context of that, you, he, uh, Martin Taylor, you might assume he'd go for a bearish um, position and try and make money on the downside. But he's worried about another risk, which is that the Chinese could decide to solve the problems that Ryan were talking about by um, going for a program of QE, using the money to buy the non-performing loans in the banking sector. And if that did happen, he thinks that prices should shoot up. Now, there's no way of modelling those two outcomes. So you've got no rational way of anticipating the outcome. But the trading uh, strategies for those two outcomes is completely um, opposed. Either you'll short the market if you think this is going to be a long grinding bear market, or you'll long the market if you think the Chinese are suddenly going to step in and uh, use this strategy to get out of their crisis. And as you can't tell which of those is the right uh, thing to do, the best thing to do is to give up altogether. So we have concerns about the quality of Chinese policymaking. We have very uh, jittery markets. How bad does it look, Ryan? Well, I think it looks a little bit grim. I'm not sure I'd say it's as serious as 2008 because in 2008 there was um, kind of a clear path from which trouble in one place uh, touched off this series of financial crises that drove the entire world into recession. I think what's, what's worrying this time is that there's so little room for the countries that are the economic bright spots right now uh, to respond to any kind of nasty uh, shock from China. So if you if you look at Europe and the U.S., interest rates are, are extremely low already. I mean, the Fed has only just begun hiking. Um, there's there's basically no appetite for for fiscal stimulus, uh, and there aren't a lot of other sources out there for growth or for demand. And so if there were kind of an, an ill wind to blow in from China, there's just not much these countries can do to respond to offset that negative shock. And that, I think, suggests to me that we find ourselves in a world where the bright spots are slowing, perhaps not in a recession, but slowing down enough that the rest of the world, the struggling emerging markets, um, find themselves in, in really quite nasty circumstances, and so I think it will be it will be an uncomfortable year. Uh, and if um, you know if we can avoid policy missteps, we may avoid another global recession, but it, it probably won't be that fun. All right, then. So if not a cocktail of risks, then at the very least an uncomfortable year. Thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you also, Philip. That's all for this week. You can read Philip and Ryan's latest columns in the upcoming edition of The Economist. And as always, you can find other stories on finance, economics, and business at economist.com. In London. This is The Economist. The Economist.